right, get your Bible open to John chapter 12. We'll be there in just a moment. John chapter 12. The bottom line up front is this, that God exceeds our expectations through Jesus Christ. God exceeds our expectations through Jesus Christ. I'm originally from uh, Cedar Rapids, and it's a place where I've always wanted to go back to. I want to live in Cedar Rapids. My wife has the same feeling. She's from Marion. We just love being in that area. Now, when we first got married, we, we wanted to be back home so much that we would actually go back uh, for college. We drive the hour-long trip from you and I all the way back. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad at all. Uh, we would t- typically spend our weekends you know, up in Waterloo, Cedar Falls area, and then would come back for the weekend and just hang out with family. And we would do that quite frequently. When we went to Dubuque for my seminary degree, it was also, it was a little bit more difficult. It was about an hour still, but I was very busy with with seminary life. And unfortunately, my wife had severe postpartum depression, so she actually needed to go back home and, and have uh, uh, be in a place where it was more familiar for her. And so uh, she did go back and live in Cedar Rapids, and then I commuted back and forth from Dubuque uh, back home to Cedar Rapids. And it was, it was okay living back there for a while. But pretty soon after that, I got a position in my first church, and it was in Grand Mound, Iowa. Still not bad. It was about an hour away from Cedar Rapids. We was there for about two years. And then we got into West Burlington, which was about an hour and a half. So it made a, a trip that was somewhat long into a little bit longer uh, trip. And, and, and so, you know, over time, we've, we've always felt like Cedar Rapids was the place that we wanted to be. We wanted to get back to that area. We wanted to be with family. And then seven years ago, seven and a half years ago, I received a phone call in order to go here to Bloomfield. Well, Bloomfield's about three hours away from Cedar Rapids and Marion. That's a, that's a pretty far trip. I mean, you really can't make that trip in one day there and back. You just can't do it. You have to do an overnighter. And so over the last, you know, seven years, there's been times where we're like, man, I wish we could just be back home. I wish we could just go back home. But as we get closer to this time in which we're transitioning uh, to Spencer, which is actually four hours away, We've been discussing this quite a bit, my wife and I, and our goal was always to get back to Cedar Rapids, but now it's, it's actually not our goal anymore. We've, we've come to understand that being away from family, being three hours away from family has actually brought us together as a married couple, as a family. It has made us financially independent. It has made us socially independent, emotionally independent. We wouldn't be who we were today if it wasn't for that distance. And, and it's, it's not what we wanted, but it's what we needed as our family. You know, there's a Rolling Stones song, 1969, and it says this, You can't always get what you want, but if you try some time, you just might find you get what you need. Have you ever had a time in which you wanted something so badly I don't know if you're like me, maybe you wanted to live in a place really badly, and you wanted that, you desired it more than anything, or maybe it was a job, maybe it was a job that you thought, oh man, if I just had this job, it would be the perfect job for me, I want that so badly. Some people, it's, it's having a child, you know, I want to have a child, and, and they go through all kinds of processes, and, and in vitro fertilization, and, and things like that, and, and they just want a child so desperately. And maybe it's just healing. 
Maybe you're going through a chronic illness. Maybe you have a, an acute illness. Maybe you have a family member who's suffering with somebody or something. And it never happens. You don't get the healing. You don't get the child. You don't get the job. You don't get the place where you want to live. Have you ever had a time like that where you didn't get what you want, but over time you realized that you got what you needed? I think this is a pretty common thing. We see this in life. I've seen people who financially, they, they go through financial ruin, and it breaks the power that money has over them, and they come back stronger. It wasn't what they wanted, but it's what they needed. I've seen people let go from a job that they loved, and they thought, oh my gosh, life will never be the same. I love that job. How could God do this to me only to find a new job that they love even more, that they have more purpose, more meaning in? I've seen people who've gotten divorced, and they thought, you know, I'll never love anybody else again. It's a painful divorce only to find the love of their life. It wasn't what they wanted, but it's what they needed. You know, sometimes we don't get what we want, but God uses that for our benefit. And that's what we see in Palm Sunday. See, Palm Sunday is the climax of Jesus' ministry. Uh, Jesus has been working toward this for the last three years, and he's now entering into Jerusalem. And as he enters into Jerusalem, there is going to be this huge parade that meets him, and they're going to be glorifying him, lifting him up, worshiping, celebrating him. It's what they want. They want Jesus to come in as this warrior king who's going to overthrow the Romans, and, and it's a party. It's a celebration. The people are looking for a Messiah. That is what they want. They want the Messiah, who's going to be the warrior king, to beat out all the oppressors. God's people, they don't get what they want, but they get what we need. So look at John chapter 12. We're going to start with verse 12, and it says this. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after was Jesus glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So stop right there. there. There's an excitement in the air. Remember what parades were like? You know, we haven't had a parade for a while, have we? But, you know, parades are, ex it's, it's fun, it's exciting. You, you get to have all these things coming together and people are shouting, they're cheering, they're celebrating, they're waving their hands. And in this particular time, they're taking palm branches and laying them on the ground. They're putting their coats down. They're welcoming him as a king. Now, this parade, you know, every parade has somebody who kind of organizes it, right? This parade was organized or orchestrated by God. Organized by God. And the catalyst behind Palm Sunday is a man named Lazarus. Lazarus. Do you remember Lazarus? He's the one that was dead in the tomb for four days, and Jesus raised him up from the dead. I mean, you do something like that, the word is going to spread. So when people heard Jesus is coming— Man, they, they were there. 
Uh, John chapter 12, verse 17 through 18, it says, Now the crowd was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead and continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard he performed the sign, went out to meet him. So here's the reason why everybody's coming out. They know of Jesus already. I mean, he's caused a stir over the last three years. But when you raise a person from the dead, it changes things. It raises things up. And so Lazarus is the catalyst for Palm Sunday. And like I said, this is the climax of Jesus' ministry. This is the point where everything kind of collides, and this is the moment that we've been waiting for. And, and the people are so joyful. They're so excited. Uh, the, the Pharisees, who were the religious elite of the time, they said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Basically, get them to quiet down. You're causing a stir. And, and Jesus replies, he says, if, if I tell them to be quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, Jesus could have said, all right, guys, calm down, calm down, you know. Uh, we don't need to make a big fuss over me. No, he doesn't. He doesn't do that. As humble as Jesus is, he receives the praise. He encourages it. Why? Because he is worthy of praise. He is worthy of our adoration. And this parade is actually leading to the greatest moment in human history, which is the cross. This parade leads to the cross. Now, it's kind of ironic that there is a psalm that fits so well with this parade, with Palm Sunday, because the psalms were written hundreds of years before this event took place. But Psalm 118 is a psalm that it, it seems as if this was written for this moment. And I'm going to read it to you, and I, I'm just going to explain a few things as we go along. But it's Psalm 118, and we're going to start with verse 19, and it says, Open for me the gates of righteousness, and I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. Now, the psalmist, he's, he's talking about the gates here, but the gates really where he's referring to are the gates of Jerusalem, the gates of righteousness, the gates of Jerusalem. So he's saying, open them up. This is a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Verse 21 I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done this this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Now, pause there. Some of you had heard this phrase before. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, the cornerstone of a building was foundational. In fact, it held up the foundation. It was the most important stone in the entire building because it held up two rows of stone together and it stabilized everything. If you were to take out the cornerstone, then basically the foundation would crumble. Without it, everything comes crashing down. And so Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. The religious people, they didn't approve of him. In fact, they said, wow, he's from Nazareth. Has anything good ever come from Nazareth? He has no formal education. He, he disregards the religious traditions. He hangs out with a bunch of sinners. Jesus is still rejected by the religious elites. You know, we have many people today who would say, well, Jesus is just a good human being. You know, disregard all that stuff he said about sin and death and stuff like that. You know, disregard his atonement. It doesn't really matter that he died on the cross, that his blood was shed. He gives us a good example of what we should be. 
We still have people who disregard him, who reject his message, that they change it to suit their own needs. But Jesus has been rejected. The religious people of his time rejected him. Religious people of our time reject him. The Romans rejected him. They crucified him. The disciples, they ran from him. And the Jewish crowd that was there praising him, they would choose somebody else. The stone the builders have chosen has been rejected. The stone the builders rejected has been come, become the cornerstone. And we continue on in praise. Verse 24, it says, The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us, which is actually the word Hosanna. You know, when they're saying Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, it means save us. Save us right now. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in his hand, join in the festive, uh, festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. So Jesus, what they're saying here, Jesus is worthy to be praised. And we should give thanks because Jesus Christ is our salvation. We should lift Jesus up because he is the cornerstone. Everything is dependent on him. He is the foundational stone that holds our faith together. We should praise him because he endured rejection for our sake. We should worship him. We should celebrate him. We should uh, adore him. This is a joyful moment where Jesus comes in. It's a climax of his ministry. And we as Christians, we should be excited. But here's the thing. You can't always get what you want. Remember that song? Now, what did the Jewish people want? Well, the Jewish people wanted Jesus to usher in a new golden age. The last golden age that they had was with King David and King Solomon, in which they defeated all their enemies. They had great amounts of wealth and fame throughout the land. That was a good time for them. They wanted that back. They wanted victory. They wanted victory over their worldly powers of the time. They were being oppressed by Rome. Rome was the powerhouse of that time. And they oppressed the Israelites. They oppressed the Jewish people. They got taxed. They weren't able to do exactly what they wanted to do because the Romans were over them. They wanted a military leader. They wanted salvation now. Remember that word, Hosanna. Save us. Save us right now, Lord. Save us. But really, you know, you know when those times when, when people are saying things but they don't actually really say it? You know when people are saying something and, and you know that there's something underneath of it that's really being said? This is what's being said. Lord, you had the power to raise Lazarus. And if you had the power to raise somebody from the dead, surely you can do what I want you to do. Surely you can do what I want you to do. What's being said is this, that we want Jesus to become a tool for us. We want to use Jesus to accomplish our wish list. Human selfishness, that's what it's all about. God, use your power for our gain. Jesus, use your power, your ability, your fame, your might. Pull us together and we will defeat our enemies. We will usher in a new golden age. We will overcome our oppressors. Jesus, you can help us to do this. But you can't always get what you want. 
but God will give you what you need. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about how God actually exceeded our expectations through Jesus Christ. God actually exceeded our expectations because you know what? We still use Jesus to get what we want. We, we think that if we just worship God, that God will bless our life. If we tithe, then God will give us some money. If we read the Bible and we go to church and we pray, then if we ask something for God, it will automatically happen. Sort of like God's this magic genie and we just rub the magic lamp and ask God and, and God will bless us. That's how we oftentimes treat God as sort of like a dispenser of goods and services. We want God to give us peace. We want God to get rid of our anxiety. We want God to quell our fears. But that's not how God works. God doesn't always give us what we want, but God gives us what we need. And so today we'll talk about that way that, is that God exceeds our wants and gives us exactly what we need. And the first way he does this is this, that Jesus exceeds our wants and gives us a new commandment, a new covenant, a new covenant. So what the Israelites wanted was they wanted a new golden age. They wanted power over their enemies. They wanted it to go back like it was with David and Solomon. But Jesus offers us a new deal. Does that sound familiar? A new deal, right? It's not a great new deal. It's not the old new deal. It's the old, old new deal, I guess. It's the new covenant. Now, the old covenant that God established with his people was this. If you are my people, then I will be your God. And that sounded pretty good, right? That, that was pretty simple. I'll be your God. You be my people. And then God said, okay, but if you're going to be my people, there's some ways that you have to act. You have to be holy and upright like I am holy and upright. And so God had given them the Ten Commandments. And, and then God gave them some other rules and some other ways that they should live their lives and set themselves apart from other people so that they could be seen as God's people, holy and right and, and just. But here's the problem. We as human beings, we can never keep the laws. We can never do all the things that God requires for us, from us. And so we entered into this cycle of sin in which we, we basically know the laws and we don't follow them. And then God says, okay, now you got to be punished because of that. And then we're like, well, sorry, sorry, God, we'll be better next time. And so we go back and, and God forgives us and then we go right back to our sin. And that's what the old covenant was all about. It was showing us that we on our own cannot over, overcome the power of sin in our lives, that we are not good enough. And so Jesus ushers in the new covenant, which exceeds our wants. The new covenant is this, that Jesus Christ becomes the ultimate sacrifice, that he dies for our sins, that his blood washes us clean, and he, he provides the perfect response for, for us that we can never do. And he offers us grace. You know what grace is? It's, it's love that is given to you that you do not deserve. It means that no matter what you do, if you call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, if you believe in him, God will offer you grace. He will offer you forgiveness, and you can be united with God. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. God's grace is sufficient, and all is required is belief. In fact, uh, in our confirmation class, we're learning about what all these things are. We're learning about how God does this, and, and the first way that God does this is we've become justified. We, we are made right in our relationship with God. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we are washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, uh, we are made right. 
And, and then we experience new birth, which is basically, okay, once we are made right with God, now we have this new life. We're born again. But, but that's not it. That's not all. We can't just stay as little babies. Sanctification is the next process in which we become more and more mature, more and more like Jesus Christ in our everyday life. And then the next stage after that is glorification. Now, glorification happens when we die as saints, as people who believe in Jesus Christ. We are glorified and lifted up with Jesus Christ, and we will be with him for eternity. See, we don't think like this. We, we want the temporary solution. Most humans do. Most of us want just the temporary solution. We don't want the eternal solution. Jesus, can't you just offer me, you know, what I want right now? I, I, I know you offer me all this stuff like eternal life, but can't you just answer my prayers for right now? Give me what I not want right now. Give me what I need. You know, we fall into this trap of temporary solutions so often. We want something so bad, we want it right now, and we don't think long term. For example, yo-yo dieting. I want to be skinny. I want to have six-pack abs or whatever it is. And I'll, I'll continue to starve myself or I'll continue to eat these weird diets because I think I'm going to get the results that I want. When we know that what's really required is consistent um, monitoring of your uh, calories and watching what you eat, eating healthy. We want the temporary solution when it comes to our finances. Uh, there's this big craze about Bitcoin right now. Uh, Bitcoin is, is like a big thing, but here's the thing. Bitcoin is, is just a temporary solution. It's not a wealth-building thing. I mean, it could be, but it's, it's kind of one of those things out there. It's, it's like a get-rich-quick kind of scheme, and we're waiting for the ball to drop on that one. It's, uh, you know, another temporary solution is rallying behind a leader. You know, we all have our people that we follow in this world. You know, it could be a political leader. It could be a, a, a person uh, who's like leading a movement or things like that. It could be a, a religious leader. But I can't tell you how many times I've seen re- leaders rise up and gain prominence and fame. And then they fall. They do something immoral. They do something that is just not worthy of being called leader. And so we're devastated. We want that person who will usher us forward. But here's the thing, they're human too. And what we really need is we need an eternal solution. An eternal solution. And that's what Jesus gives us. Jesus exceeds our wants. And our want is the temporary, right here, right now solution And he gives us the new covenant, which is an eternal solution, eternal life. Second way that Jesus exceeds our wants is this. He exceeds our wants and gives us an eternal victory. All right, see if you can get this quote. Eternal victory, that is what awaits the student who wins the Triwizard Tournament. Harry Potter, okay, some of you got it. All right, Um, in Harry Potter, if you win the Triwizard Tournament then your name would be lifted up forever. Um, Same way with the Olympics. If you win the Olympics, you get a gold medal, then people will remember you. They'll always say, well, we remember the Olympics, and and when so-and-so won all those gold medals, I mean, you're going to be remembered forever. You know, as human beings, we crave victory. We want people to look at us and say, wow, they, they are victorious. They are the winner. They are uh, better than everyone else. And the Jewish people were no different. 
They wanted victory over the Romans. They wanted victory over their oppressors. And they saw Jesus as a tool to achieve the victory that they wanted. Jesus, can't you just mobilize our people? Can't you just build up an army and you will be our king? And our nation will be able to achieve victory and we will overcome our oppressors. Wouldn't that be great? But think about this. There's, there are nations who achieve victories. The United States achieves victories. We achieve victories all the time. We are the dominant power within this world. But no nation will ever have the claim that they have the eternal victory. I mean, think of Egypt. Egypt ro rose and fell. Rome rose and fell. Even the United States. We rose up. And eventually, we're not going to be the dominant power anymore. It just happens. See, Jesus exceeds our expectations by giving us an eternal victory. Jesus gives us the sacrifice of himself on the cross. The supreme victory is found on the cross, in which he atones for our sins, and he breaks the power of sin and death forever. You know, Satan thought he won Satan thought he got the victory, but Jesus Christ shows us, no, I won the eternal victory. Because we weren't playing by your rules. We weren't talking about temporary gains and things like that, Satan. We were talking about eternal victory. Listen to 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5. It says, for everyone born of God overcomes this world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And, and that's how we attain victory in this world. We accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, receive the grace that he offers, accept the forgiveness that he offers, and then we have victory because we have an eternal victory. No matter what happens to us in this life, we will be with God forever. Because we have Jesus Christ, we are saved by his blood shed for our life. Not only that, but we can actually experience salvation right here and right now. We can experience victories in our life as we become more and more like Jesus Christ. Victories over anxiety, victories over fear, victories over uh, lust, victories over pride, victories over shame and greed. Jesus has brought us the victory. He has exceeded our expectations. Lastly, Jesus exceeds our wants and gives us hope in eternal life. You know, in, the, in our community, um, a person recently lost their spouse, and on their social media uh, account, it says this in, in one of their little picture tags. It says, death of a person, uh, I'm sorry, it, it says, when you are dead, you don't know that you're dead. It's difficult only for others and then it goes on to make a, a snarky comment. But the main idea that, they, that they're getting at is, is basically when you're dead, that's it. You don't know that you're dead. It only bothers other people. It's not going to bother you because you're gone. You're nothing anymore. You were once alive, and once you're dead, well, that's all, folks. It's eternal nothingness. Could you imagine living a life without any hope? Could you imagine if, if the best that it ever gets is right here, right now? I mean, there's an old saying, eat, uh, eat drink, and be happy for tomorrow we die. You know, I think it's, it's, it's in the scriptures. And 
that's a life where it's all about the here and now. We, we live for the moment, and I think a lot of human beings, we live for the moment. We live uh, for right here, right now, because we don't believe that there is anything to come. And I just think that that's such an awful way to live. But Jesus Christ gives us hope and eternal life. So I want to share a little story with you. Uh, I was in my clergy group, and there was a clergy person named John. Uh, he's preached here a few times virtually. And John was sharing the story about how in his senior year of seminary, he was going to class one day, and the professor reaches for the chalk, and he says, I just can't grip this chalk anymore. And he cancels class, and, and they find out that that guy has gone to the doctor. And he never comes back. Now, as John was graduating seminary a few months later, he saw at his table this man, and this man had no more or no hair on his head, and, and his head was swollen. It was very swollen. And he sat there for a while, and then he's like, I finally recognize him. That's my professor. Turns out his professor found out that he had a, a severe brain tumor, and he was in the last stages of life. And as they were talking and, and things like that, they, they spoke that evening. But what John really remembers was this. At the end of that banquet, here's the professor, his head swollen, his hair now gone, close to death, and his arm is in a sling. And as they sing the closing song, it's victory in Jesus. And the professor, as they sing the chorus, he starts to raise up his bad hand with his good hand in order to praise and worship God. And he just holds up his hand just like this. I don't know what's going to happen to me tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen a year from now. But my question is this, is will I always praise God? Will I be the kind of person that no matter what happens, I, I still raise my hand and praise, lifting up his name? See, Jesus Christ, he exceeds our expectations. We, we expect that we will have a temporary life here and that when we die, there's nothing. But Jesus Christ offers us eternal life with him. And so my question for you all is this. Are you the person that sees God as a means to an end? Are you a person who sees Jesus as a tool that can be used in order to benefit yourself? Do you celebrate Jesus because of what he can do for you? You know, if I, if I keep um, preaching well, maybe God will reward me and my family and give us a, a church in Cedar Rapids so we can be at home. Or how about this, if you go to church, um, you know, maybe if I, if I tithe, then God will reward me financially and he will bless and multiply my salary. He'll give me that promotion, he'll give me that raise that I've been looking for. Or if I go to church, he will bless my business, he will bless my family. Do you use God to get what you want? Or at least do you try to use God to get what you want? I guess the follow-up question is this, are you prepared to get what you really need? You know, oftentimes God doesn't give us what we want, but he gives us what we need. 
can't always get what you want. God gives us what we need. And in closing, my thought is this. What would it look like if we as Christians, what if we as Christians could learn how to celebrate, worship, and praise Jesus Christ simply because he is God? Simply to raise up our hand and to worship him and adore him and say, you know what? You are the reason that I exist. You are amazing. You are uh, worthy to be praised. And I will celebrate you. I will give thanks because you are my salvation. You are the cornerstone of my faith, Jesus Christ. Are you going to be the type of person who worships him like that? With no strings attached, what would it look like if, if churches, if our church, if we had people who are filled with people who worshiped God, who worshiped Jesus Christ simply for the fact that he is God? No strings attached, nothing that I'm going to get out of this, but we just come here and we adore God simply because God is God. Jesus Christ exceeds the expectations that we have. He gives us what we need, not always what we want. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Palm Sunday. We thank you for uh, the joy that we have, the, the crowds who came out to greet you. And we know, Lord, sometimes we have strings attached in our faith. We have things that we want you to do for us, but we know, Lord, that you work in mysterious ways, and sometimes you don't give us what, you, what we want. You give us what we need, and we will praise you regardless, because you, we know that you are good, that you have a plan that you are working out, Lord. And so we praise you and honor your name this Palm Sunday. Pray this in your name. Amen.